For years, Rewind has been successfully backing up thousands of small businesses' data that is stored in cloud apps like Shopify, BigCommerce, and Trello, saving these small businesses from CSV import errors, employee mistakes, and app integrations that didn't go as planned. Rewind has also been backing up QuickBooks Online company data too. That's right, Cloud Accounting World, I did say backup QuickBooks Online company data. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Rewind, later in the episode. I mean, this would be if this was if this was not some rich billionaire, people would be celebrating the fact that somebody could grow the Roth like that. Well, and here's the and thing: invested. I mean, that means the, the 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 vehicle of the Roth IRA is working as designed. Somebody could amass a decent amount of wealth and retire on it, and it's tax free. And here's the thing: is anyone with a decent financial planner is doing something similar to what Peter Thiel is doing. Today is Saturday, June 26th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. David, you're back from Vegas. Blake, do I sound different? You, you sound you sound better than when you were in New York in that tiny WeWork sound booth, but you sound not as good as normal when you're at home. So what is what is different? I've moved into the Accounting Podcast Network recording studio. It's done. It's not finished though. It's all temporary. Oh. Like I'm using a, I have a, you'd appreciate this. I have a music stand that I had from 1986 when I, I still kept it. It's like super heavy duty. And I rigged everything up on that, put the monitor in, put a blanket over a ladder behind me. I have a sheet hanging over the door. It's all temporary. <laughs> By next week, we'll have soundproofing in and everything will be more permanent. But I couldn't wait to not move in here and record today. I have to say, I'm a little concerned because it looks a little rickety. You sent me a picture and I'm going to post that on our Instagram. And if you, dear listeners, are not following our Instagram account, we we put up our audiograms and pictures when we're at conferences. You should definitely check us out. It is at cloud A-C-C-T pod, cloud A-C-C-T pod. And that's our that's our ID on all the socials. So yes. can, on any of them, it's very consistent on Facebook and Twitter and the LinkedIn. That's our consistent name, Cloud ACD Pod. And I'd like to also, Blake, so I was in Vegas. And I'd like to listen, uh, welcome our new listeners that are at, that were at the BKX conference. Thank you so much. The listeners who subscribed must have driven us up in the rankings because we went into like the top 20s in podcasts on Apple Top Charts 20 for... all-time business news podcast. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, everybody. Uh, but that conference was interesting. A, it was nice to go to a conference. It was amazing, going, actually, to go to a conference and see people and give hugs and talk to people. But Melia was there, right? Uh, I saw uh, Relay was there. Lissio was there. Right? It was really nice just to see people we have not seen in a very, very long time in this industry and to give hugs. And then to meet just new people that are just super excited about cloud accounting and bookkeeping. Like none of the desktop hosting guys were there. There was nobody came up to me and said, well, when's Melio going to work with QuickBooks Desktop? Right? <laughs> They're all forward thinking cloud accountants or cloud bookkeepers. Right? They're all very, very new. And many of them are still, when I say new, they might have two or three clients. And that's just because the model Ben Robinson does with bookkeepers.com and the Digital Bookkeepers Association, their training courses, they basically train them in bookkeeping, train them how to build a bookkeeping firm, but then they really keep them focused on just two or three clients until they build out all their processes. And then they teach them how to sell. Now go sell and close more clients Mm -hmm. and start adding more clients to your firm. Don't go out and get 10 clients and have zero processes. That is perfect. That's exactly how it should be. 
And so you have a lot of people that are very new. And when I say new, like it's a chemical engineer, it's somebody that was in uh, the hotel industry. It's just people that are making career changes. Well, and they want flexible work. They probably want remote work. People who did decided during the pandemic, I don't want to go back to that job where I have to be at the hotel or at the office every day. I met a CPA who was an audit and she was just done. And she's like, now I'm just going to be a bookkeeper and build a bookkeeping firm. It's very exciting. Bookkeeping is, and doing it for yourself, is a huge opportunity now. There's so much demand and so many firms are willing to hire you remotely. Accounting firms, as we discussed last week on the show, cannot find enough talent. I mean, we don't we talk about this every week, I feel like. So um, thank you to all of our new listeners from the conference. And do you want to just like give them an idea of what this show is about, David? We never really do that. Well, I think for right now, they just think it's about t-shirts. <laughs> right, because you were giving away, what, dozens of t-shirts at the yeah, conference. Yeah, I think I brought 60 or 70 Cloud Accounting yeah. t-shirts. It was nice seeing people wear those around in Vegas. It's, it's always cool to see. Um, I actually had given most people the spiel um, when they subscribed. But yeah, essentially, if you're a new listener, in an hour, you can spend an hour with us every week. And you don't have to, you can unsubscribe from all your app newsletters and your accounting blog sites and you know, whatever other media you're beginning to get your accounting and bookkeeping news. And because there's just a lot of noise and it's very efficient to listen to us every week for an hour and we keep you right on top of the most important things. I, I tend to focus on the CPA stuff a lot because I'm a CPA. David has a focus on the technology side, the app side, because he comes from that background. So I think we hit it all yeah, a little bit. But he comes from the zero world and I come from the QuickBooks world. So we're yep. bringing in both sides of that. Um, so speaking of events, so that event happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Sweet World is going to be back. So Oracle announced they're going to have Sweet World. It's going to happen in Vegas. I feel like every concert conference, sorry, concert, concert, conference, same thing, right? Okay. Every conference is going to be in Vegas because it's wide open. It was like right. there's no pandemic ever existed when I was in Vegas. Uh, it's completely right back to normal, full, full swing in Vegas. Um, they're going to do a pre-training on Monday, October 18th. The main event will be October 19th through the 21st. And I said, it's going to be both live and an online event. And so you can find that. And then all the other conferences, if you go to accountingconferences.com, you can keep track of all the upcoming conferences there. Yeah. That's a great public service that David does. And uh, for those who don't know, Sweet World is the conference for NetSuite Oh, sorry. Users. I kind of assumed that. Yes. Yeah. And it's humongous. I think I think, I think it's bigger than Engage because Engage is like a few thousand people. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but it's a lot of uh, NetSuite administrators and accountants. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Uncat. We talk a lot about AI, bots, and machine learning on this podcast and how they just can't do everything. Uncategorized transactions is a perfect example of something that requires the good judgment of accountants and bookkeepers. But categorizing uncategorized transactions isn't just about applying judgment. It's also about having a great communication between you and your client. I'm guessing many of you already have an quote unquote export a report from QuickBooks to a spreadsheet and email it to the client type system. But let's be honest, you don't like this and neither does your client. This is where Uncat can help you make classifying of expenses, income, and asset transactions faster and more enjoyable for both you and your clients. Uncat's automatic notifications, reminders, and password-less login make it easy for your clients to provide descriptions of transactions and upload receipts. And it makes it easy for you and your team to quickly categorize and automatically sync the corrected transactions with QuickBooks Online. If you're curious, like a cat, to learn more about Uncat, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash uncat. 
That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash U-N-C-A-T. Close the books faster with Uncat. What else is new? Oh, we got to talk about Peter Thiel and Roth IRAs because Ira, Roth IRA was trending on Twitter. That's how I found out about the story. I go onto Twitter and on my sidebar- And it, it wasn't Roth, trending in, ta- in uh, tax Twitter. It was trending in general public Twitter. Overall Twitter, yes. Wow. Roth IRA. And and so then when, whenever I see something like that, something accounting, nerdy, financial, trending on Twitter, I know that some rich guy got caught for doing something that probably is legal, but is uh, stretching the rules t- to the point where he's going to get publicly shamed for- being uber rich and not paying taxes. And lo and behold, that is what is happening in this case. The trend on Twitter started because of a ProPublica article that comes out of that IRS leak, all that data that ProPublica somehow got their hands on. The secrets that I said last week really didn't have any secrets. We finally have a secret. Right. So last week, they've obviously got a series of stories they're writing on this data now. So last week, the story was all about, um, what was it? Remind me. What the story was last week? Yeah. The, the story last week was just ha- – the, the headline was very attention-grabbing, right? It was like how the rich avoid paying taxes and it just went and named all these people. You know, the typical oh. the typical quote-unquote right. suspect, you know. Oh, it's Bezos and it's Buffett and blah, blah, blah. It, it was about how they, as a percentage of their income and their net worth, pay very little in tax, which we've known for a long time. So that's why the headline of the story was – or not the headline of the story, the, the, the show episode title was IRS Secrets Reveal No Secrets. So we've got an even juicier story this week from the same folks at ProPublica. The headline is how tech mogul Peter Thiel turned a retirement account for the middle class into a $5 billion tax-free piggy bank. Really good headline, I just got to say there. Now, and, and I'm not saying I endorse this uh, ProPublica angle, which is like, it really seems like they are anti-rich or anti-capitalists and very much, you know, I mean, it's called ProPublica. It's for the people, right? That's literally what that means. So I think there's a lot of people, Wall Street Journal, of course, had a a story or an article about how this is terrible and ProPublica is using illegal data to do this stuff to shame people. And there's an element of that, right? Like we shouldn't be shaming people for doing what is legal. And a lot of the stuff we do with IRAs and taxes and stuff, like it benefits the wealthy, it benefits the upper middle class. And, you know, that's just, it's like a thing we do. I mean, we're, if you're an accountant, you know this. Um, well, people can, I think that the, the part that's gray is people confuse what people owe and what people pay. And people think, or the, the general consensus is these rich people must owe more and they're just avoiding paying which is not really the case. Right, right. So it makes it seem like they're doing something illegal, but they're really just following the law almost all the time. In many cases. I mean, they're well, okay, to be fair. They have really good accountants, let's just say. They have really good accountants, really good accountants, the best of the best, who find them the legal loopholes, which is, it looks like what Peter Thiel did here. And I want to get into what he did because it's really fascinating. And it's something I was not really aware of. Now, there are also plenty of rich people who I think just evade their taxes completely. So you've got like John McAfee, who died in a Spanish prison last week, awaiting extradition to the United States 
And I think the reason he had fled to Europe or abroad is because he was evading his taxes, right? Uh, he's had, yeah, some tax evasion. You know, there's rumors like when he was really pumping the, because he was famous for McAfee antivirus. Yeah. Right? And there's, and it's suspected that possibly he even financed some hackers to write viruses to help them sell software. Like, like the, he's had a very questionable uh, past um, and, and very kind of, I mean, arguably a very interesting life, right? It, it would make a great reality TV show. Yeah, I mean, he's probably like, he's the Tiger King of tech. That's the, the way to think about him. There, there will be a John McAfee documentary if there isn't one yet. Uh, but to get back to the Peter Thiel thing, so you've got John McAfee at one end of the spectrum, like obvious tax evader did the stupid thing. And then you have Peter Thiel at the other end of the spectrum, who is a genius founder of PayPal, which revolutionized payments and online accounting, arguably one of the first things that led to cloud accounting being possible. And uh, he did what is actually the IRS looked into and said is okay. So should we talk about it? Yeah, so, so basically what he did, just at a high level, is he put $2,000 into an IRA, and somehow now it's worth $5 billion? <laughs> So yes, in essence. And so here's how he did it. So back up a moment. What is a Roth IRA? We don't want to take that for granted. So an IRA is an individual retirement account. A Roth IRA is a particular type of individual retirement account where you put the money in, and it grows. Uh, you pay tax on it that year, and then it grows and you don't pay tax on it when you take it out when you retire at age, what, 59 and a half, I think. So as long as you don't touch it before then, you can take it out when you're older and you don't pay tax, which is fantastic because if if you invest well, all of that's going to grow tax-free. And it was designed as a tool for the middle class to save for retirement. And that's why there's contribution limits. Anyone who has a Roth IRA or manages them for clients knows that you can only put in so many X thousands of dollars per year. That is to specifically stop the rich from using this as a tax avoidance tool. But as with everything, smart people figured out how to game the system. So how did Peter Thiel game the system? Well, in 1999, when he founded PayPal, he didn't do it himself. He had co-founders. But when, when he invested in PayPal, he bought shares. And at that time, PayPal was just a brand new company. There was no public market for it. Its shares were theoretically worth nothing. So they could decide as founders, what, what are these shares going to be worth? And they put the value at 0. $0.001, so a tenth of one cent per share. And Peter Thiel bought his 1.7 million shares for $1,700, and he'd used a Roth IRA to do it. Following so far? Yep. Okay. So then PayPal, of course, becomes wildly successful. And when he, I think the company went public in 2002, so not that long after, like three years later or something, those shares ended up being worth $50 million. So to rewind for a second, at the time when he when he just had the measly $2,000 in options that he put, put aside... Was he already like, you know, oh, and it wasn't options. Way it was, to be a billion. It was actual shares because he's a shares. Yeah. But he was he so, but but at the time, like he wasn't like some uber millionaire or billionaire yet, right? He was just 
a startup guy hustling. Well, is this correct or it, I, I don't know what what was his financial state? I guess he wasn't when a, he did this. So he wasn't a poor college student. He was a successful hedge fund manager. He managed. So he was already a hedge fund manager then. Okay, yeah, a small hedge fund, but you know he had money. So so he may have known what he was doing. This wasn't a oh this was totally a, planned. He got out. lucky. He, no, his accountants like there's actually an a, I think they interviewed somebody related to the accountants that, or maybe one of the accountants in this article that did this. And like, this was thought out. They said, okay, if you think that this is going to be a huge success, let's do it this way. You're going to buy your shares with a Roth. This was a strategy that that somebody smart figured out. A few years later, the Roth is now worth $50 million. Now, once the money's in your Roth, you can invest like it's any other investment account. You just can't take it out or you pay uh, tax and penalties. And so he then went on to invest his $50 million in a bunch of other stuff. And Peter Thiel is a a smart guy who made really good investments. And basically, that's how he turned $50 million into $5 billion. Now, it's all inside of this retirement account that he can't withdraw the money from until he's 59 and a half, or he's going to pay 10% penalty plus ordinary income tax, which is actually funny because it's not necessarily... A good thing for him because it, he's got five billion dollars that he can't really touch. He he maybe would have been better off if he could just pay you know capital gains tax twenty percent on it because then he could access the money right now. But also Peter Thiel is one of those guys who like wants to live forever and is working on like how to extend his life you know indefinitely. He's one of those people, so maybe he thinks that this is a good idea. But here's the here's the thing about about this. So. Theoretically, right, according to the rules of the way Roth IRAs are set up, right, as long as you're at that time in 1999, you could only contribute $2,000 per year to your Roth. And because you could buy stock with it and you could value that stock at whatever you want, a lot of people started doing this. There's no reason I couldn't have done it, right? Anyone could have done this. Now, there is a detail in here, though, that makes me think that maybe he, he might have stretched the rules or there's a gray area that he fell into because- he bought the stock in January of 99 for 1,700, 1.7 million shares. That same year, PayPal raised $5 million from other investors in a second round. So Peter Thiel was the angel round. Then they raised, I guess, a Series A for $5 million that same year. When Thiel's accountants reported the Roth IRA to the IRS for the first time, they said it was still worth $1,700, a little less than $1,700. Now, if they'd raised $5 million, do you think that they raised $5 million at the same 10th of a cent valuation as Peter Thiel got with his shares? Probably not. That's impossible because then Peter Thiel would not have owned a significant chunk of PayPal and would not be a multi-billionaire. My guess is that they raised the money at a significantly higher valuation. We don't know this for sure because it's not in the ProPublica data that they reported on and probably isn't available in that anyway. But let's say that the investors got a you know much higher valuation or the company got a much higher valuation when they got the $5 million. Should Peter Thiel have reported a higher value of his Roth, which then would have disallowed the whole thing? Because remember, there was a $2,000 limit per year at that time. So I think so, so that- basically he, he put- he priced the value of what he put in to stay under that $2,000 limit, even though 
questionably or arguably possibly that the deposit that year was worth well more than $2,000. Oh, yeah, probably hundreds of thousands, a hundred times more, I imagine, or, or more than that. So that's the question here. Now, the, the IRS did look into this, apparently, and did not come back and say, he got audited, the IRS looked into it and did not disallow it and reverse everything and all that. But think about this. We've been talking about how the IRS is underfunded. So you've got Peter Thiel's excellent accountants and lawyers going up against a underfunded IRS where the auditors have no time because they're, they're crammed with work and they're not experienced. Who's going to win in that situation? So maybe if you had a well-funded IRS, this would never have happened. Because it would have been nipped in the butt well before it grew to $5 billion. Yeah. So like this is why underfunding the IRS is in the interest of you know wealthy individuals because it's very hard to question these kind of gray area moves. And then it just continues on. And it's not a Republican or Democrat thing, I'm going to tell you, because even though it was Republicans who were in power when the IRS was underfunded, it was Democrats who went along with it and didn't fight it. And there's plenty of examples of venture capitalists doing exactly this thing all across the aisle on both sides of the political spectrum. Well, including probably Congress people, senators and, and representatives <laughs> probably are playing the same game. Hillary Clinton did this, right? I don't know if she did it with a Roth IRA, but Hillary Clinton managed to take like $2,000 and turn it into like $2 million investing in cattle futures. Like, I don't, I don't know how, like, my money doesn't grow like that. It never grows like that. Yeah. And that's the thing is if, if a regular person uh, put in the maximum amount into their Roth IRA starting in 1999 and getting a return like S&P 500, 5% per year, it would take them 1,200 years to make $5 billion. So it's clearly being used in a way that was never intended by Congress. The question is, was what Peter Thiel specifically did legal? And then like, this is obviously, I think it's obvious that it's not what Congress intended and it's not the way the system is supposed to be used. But again, this is the problem with tax. Um, Anyone can figure out how to game the system if you're smart enough. There's always loopholes. And you just got to admire the guys who came up with this. It's a pretty brilliant tax avoidance strategy. <laughs> if it's not tax evasion, I mean, I, who knows, right? That's, that's a call for a judge to make. I mean, this would be, if this, was, if this was not some rich billionaire, people would be celebrating the fact that somebody could grow the Roth like that. Well, and here's the and thing. Invest it. I mean, that means the, 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 the vehicle of the Roth IRA is working as designed. Somebody could amass a decent amount of wealth and retire on it, and it's tax-free. And here's the thing is anyone with a decent financial planner is doing something similar to what Peter Thiel is doing. Now, we're not necessarily investing in startups using our Roths, but have you heard of the backdoor Roth maneuver? No, I have not. You take a traditional IRA and you contribute the maximum to your traditional, which the limit is much higher. I don't do this myself, so I don't know the details, but I I, I take advantage of this for myself. You take the a traditional IRA, you put in the maximum, and then you're allowed to every two years, I believe. We do it every two years, so it must be every two years. You can convert that traditional into a Roth, and you pay the tax on it then, but it goes into your Roth, and then it grows tax-free. So it's a backdoor way to put more money into the Roth than you are allowed to each year. And I think the limit now, I'm going to look it up, is $6,000. So normally you can't put more than $6,000 into a Roth, but if you do the backdoor maneuver, then it's much more than that. So it's a way to, for, for 
middle class, upper middle class folks to get more money into their Roth, which it's in the end, it's the same idea as what Peter Thiel is doing. He's just having a much bigger party than we are. And this comes back, I think the bigger story here is like kind of that time value money, right? I mean, that's the whole point of the, the Roth, right? And what every seven years in theory, you'll double with current, oh, like, with the average yeah. market rates, right? And this is what, that's what people don't understand. Politicians don't understand it. Non-accountants, non-finance people do not understand the time value of money the way we do. And so whoever came up with this idea, like understood that concept, which is very counterintuitive that you are much better off generally. Like if you think that you're going to live to retirement, you're much better off paying the tax now and letting it grow and not paying the tax later because of that time value of money. Because yeah, even if you're in a lower tax bracket, when you get really old, it doesn't, it's not going to matter. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. Imagine if a meteorite wiped out into its server. It's extremely unlikely, but if it did happen, Intuit would be able to restore all your data and everyone else's that was lost. Rewind has built a backup solution for data loss situations that are way more likely to occur to your client's data. Malicious attacks, buggy apps, disgruntled clients, and of course, ourselves. Human error, the number one reason people lose data. Say goodbye to making manual copies of clients' files, CSV exports, or storing redundancies on hard drives. Rewind is introducing a new way of protecting your data through an automated daily backups and on-demand controlled data recovery. As the leading cloud backup app trusted by over 80,000 organizations around the globe, Rewind has saved thousands of accounting professionals from mind-numbing manual data entry rework. By using Rewind, you can take a proactive approach to your client's data and be the trusted advisor that differentiates you from your competitors by showing your client how Rewind safeguards one of your client's most important assets, their data. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. Rewind, protect your data, protect your business. So there's a good story I listened to on NPR this week that is about the time value of money. So there's a little bit of baseball, and I'm not a baseball history buff in any way, shape, or form, but there was a player, uh, Bobby Bonilla. And on July 1st, they call this Bobby Bonilla Day. He played for the New York Mets. And apparently towards the end of his career, the New York Mets were right on the cusp of trying to go to the World Series. And he kind of either lost interest in baseball. This is about 1999. So they paid, so they wanted to get rid of him. So his his manager or agent negotiated that, hey, instead of paying me six dollars, six million dollars now to quit, how about 10 years from now? So in the year 2010, you pay me a million dollars every year for the next 30 years. Wait, so, so, 29 say years. Say this one more time. Was. What was the two options? Okay, so so the two options was they wanted to pay him like six million dollars right now to get okay. rid of him. But they didn't really want to pay that because they wanted to use that $6 million to maybe sign another good player. Gotcha. Right? So they they negotiated to where Bobby Bonilla would take a million-dollar check every July 1st, basically starting 2010 for the next 30 years or 2011 for the next 29 years. So basically, the Mets now are paying him $1 million a year, and it's going to amount to $29 million. So all, this goes back to what you just said. Most people don't understand time value of money. And Bobby Bonilla now admits that now. Right, because he would he would have been better off if he had taken the six million up front and invested it. 
Exactly. But he also knew that he wanted to guarantee himself some security in the future. But the Mets understood this. And essentially, when it's all said and done, they've, everybody's done all the math. The Mets essentially saved $6 million and they grew it to $30 million and that's what they're paying him. So it all wound up being the same in the end. But the Mets were able to use that $6 million as a resource. They actually signed another major star and they made it to the World Series the next year. Right, they were, but so the Mets kind of came out in this, but everybody thinks the Mets are the dumbest organization ever because they're paying a guy a million dollars who doesn't even play for the team every single year. They're paying him a million dollars. Yeah, I like. I, I'm not fast enough to do this on the show, but what is six million dollars um, at five percent interest compounded? Well, over I guess 30 on, years? The sh- on the show they talked about it like ten percent stock market interest uh, every seven, every seven years it would double. Right, so he. I mean, every seven years it doubled, so he goes to six, then twelve, then twenty-four. Um, that's fourteen years, and then at at twenty-one years, he's up at he's at forty-eight million. So he'd yeah, he'd so be he, much, he admits he he admits he he messed up. He'd be much, yeah he'd he'd have like a hundred million dollars <laughs> instead of thirty. Yeah. So, so it's a good listen. We'll put in the show notes. It's a, it's a fun listen. It's not too baseball-y and it's really about time value of money. There you, that's a great story. Fascinating. You've got mail. Last week, we got a great voicemail from a listener in Guam where America starts at the day. And I think that inspired some more of our listeners to call in. And we got two voicemails this week and I would love to play those for you. Oh, and the topic that we asked people to call in about was why they got their CPA or why they didn't get their CPA because we were uh, talking about that story that most people who give up on the CPA give up because work is taking too much time. So we've specifically asked people to call our voicemail or on a very specific question and they actually called about the specific question we asked them to call about. It's amazing. It's a new day. This is amazing. I'm so I there's, hope this becomes actual, a trend. There's actual real people listening to this show, David. Here we go. Here amazing, we go. amazing. Hey, fellas. I would like to say that the CPA is very valuable, but I didn't get it myself because as I started, I also came into owning a practice and found out that you don't need to get your CPA because everybody calls you a CPA if you run an accounting firm. So I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, but it's kind of serious. Um, you can tell clients all you want if you're an EA. They'll, they'll call you a CPA. So I don't know. It's my three cents. So so it sounds like free. So, like this is a, <laughs> a good move. So, so he's like one of those sea creatures that, um, you know, isn't poisonous, but looks like a poisonous sea creature and thus gets the benefit of... <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Yes, like, yes, yes. Like, there's, a, there's a term for those kind of predators. I for, or, yeah, yeah. They, yes. they, they pretend to be the poisonous thing. They're not actually poisonous themselves, and thus predators do not eat them because they think they might be poisonous. That's my analogy for this is that caller is not a CPA, but benefits because the CPA is so well-known and associated with accountants practicing publicly that he gets the benefit of people thinking he must be a CPA because he owns a firm, even though he's not. I love that. Um, says something though about the license. You know, is it like, like why do people think that? Well, it also it's, it's funny. It also shows that people care, but they don't care. 
because they care because they just assume he is. Yeah. But if they really cared, they'd be like, can you show me your credentials? Right. And nobody does that. I bet you no CPA has ever been asked to see their credentials, probably not even by the firm that hired them. Well, this is why people get hired all the time for jobs and the employer never checks the like if they have a degree, right? You could just say, I have I have a degree from some university people just don't really know that well, but they may have heard of. And then they're never going to ask for the transcripts, right? Show me your diploma. Anyway, and every now and then somebody gets in trouble for it, like in the White House or something. Yes. All right. <laughs> here's here's uh, the second voicemail. Hi, my name is Carla and I'm calling from Louisville, Texas. And the reason why I did not pursue a CPA is basically two One, the cost of off. Um, you have to pay for each session. And then two, each session, but not off at the same time. You know, so you, that gap was makes it longer. And finally, the time commitment. Because you have to study for it. And I think it's this model was set for people who go straight from college or in college and take the CPA then while they're in college. But for those of us who get our degree and then we work a little and then we decide to get the CPA or what think about being a CPA, the issue is that by that time we already have a career or a family and so we don't have the time commitment that it takes for you to study for that CPA or you don't necessarily have the money to do it. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I just, somebody probably explained to me why taking that CPA exam costs so much money. I'm not understanding that. That's the only issue I have. I have to say the IMA as well. My issue with the IMA is that first I have to become a member, and then I'm still going to charge a cost for taking the exam. Um, I know that's for business for everybody, but you want to get people more involved. You want people to start doing something. You're going to have to justify these costs. And everybody keeps saying, well, that after you get it, you, you, you'll outweigh the cost. Not right now. It might take a while for it to outweigh the cost, but if I don't have the means right now to cover that cost, why do you want me to go into debt for this cost that I might not see the benefit of it for a couple of years there? And that's not even promise. So that is my take, and that is the reason why I did not pursue my CPA. Instead, I just I went off. I got my EBA. Um, I got an MPA, and I got a lot of life experience, and I'm baking it off of that. Thank you so much, Carla, for sharing your story. I th- agree with you completely that. The CPA exam is not designed, or the whole process of becoming a CPA is not really designed for non-traditional candidates. And by non-traditional, I mean, you don't follow the traditional path, which is go to get your degree in accountancy, graduate, do a one-year or two-year master's, start taking your exams as soon as you can like toward the end of that, and finish like within your first year of work. I mean, you got your CPA. Yeah, I did. But now you have, what is Tommy, going on five and a half, six years old? Yes. And could you, like in your the state of the life you're in right now with the full-time job and a six-year-old at the house and being married and then being stuck at home with COVID, could you have pursued your CPA in today's world where your life is at right now? Well, the AICPA, 
recommends setting aside 300 to 400 hours over the course of a year to study for the exams. And I don't think that includes the time to take it. So let's say you're on the high end of that 400. Divided by 52 weeks. Here we go doing math on the show again. So you need to set aside basically a day a week to study for the exam, right? Two hours a day. (laughs) Two hours a day. Yeah. Or just do it. And if you can't make the two hours a day, you got to do it on like Saturday or Sunday or something. So two hours a day. So you work a full day and you're at an accounting firm. Let's say you're working at an accounting firm. You're working at least 40 hours. You could be working 50 or 60 if you're lucky. If you're lucky. lucky. (laughs) You have the dream accounting firm job. So let's say you work from nine to five. Okay. You get home, you cook dinner, you put the kids to bed. Now it's like nine o'clock and you're supposed to study for two hours before you go back, get go to sleep and wake up and go back to work again. Now that's if you're working 40 hours. If you're in one of those firms where you're working 50 or 60, it's hard enough just to study for the exam, even if you don't have kids or other obligations. It's just not set up for people who aren't like single and just willing to spend all their time doing accounting and studying. And it's expensive too. The caller, I think it was Carla, mentioned the cost. And it is not cheap. A CPA review course is between $1,000 and $3,000. This is according to cpaexamguide.com. CPA exam application fees vary by state, but could be $50 to $200. The CPA exam fees themselves are about $200 for each of the four sections of the exam. So, you know, 800 something, 800 and change. So take the exams, put that with the application fee. Let's say it's on the high end in your state. So you're at a thousand bucks. And then let's say you take a $2,000 course. Now you're at $3,000. So really anywhere from $2,000 to $4,000 to take the CPA exam. Oh, and there's the registration fees. So the application fee and the registration fees are different. I mean. <laughs> and there's probably a testing fee too. There's an, exa- there's an ethics exam. Okay. So they put. They actually summed it up at the bottom. It's about $4,400 all in when you include ethics, registration, exam fees, application fee, and the course. That's that's just the actual... That's just doing the test. Never mind the actual uh, 100, uh, what, 150 credit hours. How many credit hours? Oh, again? I forgot. then you have to get an extra year of education. So however much, you know those hours cost you, but you know, but that's going to be a 10 to 20 easily with your eyes closed, 20 grand. Oh, if you go to a traditional school. Now I, I did mine via like, um, an extension program and a community college. So I was able to do all of my, and I was a career changer. So I didn't even have like the core accounting classes from my bachelor's. So I had to do that and the extra courses. And I think that took cost about 10,000 all in. I think with my exam fees, I was able to but like that's a lot of money, right? So I did on the low end, and I'm estimating ten thousand is probably like twenty thousand for a lot of people. So what what's the benefit to you? I mean, there is a big benefit if you look at the salaries of CPAs versus non CPAs over the course of their career. It pays for itself, but it's such a huge initial outlay, and it's not like you can go and get loans for the review course and the application fee and the exam fees. Like it's not as easy as getting a loan to go take classes, right? Like I haven't heard of anything that makes it easier. So, and just the time commitment is a whole year of your life. And you got that extra hours every day. It's a marathon. It's hard. And people take pride in that. But the people who take pride in that, are, I think, you know, we had the advantages. Like I had the flexibility to do this. I wasn't, I was working for myself so I could make the time. I wasn't working for some, you know, abusive 
firm owner who was sucking every hour of my life out of me. Please address all your, address all your emails to Blake at BlakeOliver.com, please. <laughs> well, I think that the listeners of our show generally are not going to be the kind of people who are uh, abusing their staff. I just, I have faith in that, right? We're, Except for the ones that make their staff listen to our show. <laughs> yeah, that's that's abuse <laughs> right there. Blink twice if you are being forced to listen to the show and we'll we'll send a rescue crew. Yeah, I, I, we need to figure out how to improve that. Like that needs to be less costly, less time consuming. I think it should still be difficult. Don't get me wrong. We should have high standards, but we have to understand people. If we want career changers to come in, if we want non-traditional candidates to come in, if we want diverse candidates to come in, we need to make this more welcoming and open as a profession. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. Do you have a client that has outgrown QuickBooks or Xero? Or do you have a client that is still on QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise Edition because all the current cloud accounting offerings lack the depth of features and controls that your clients need? Or maybe you have a client with legacy desktop ERP system and they are ready to move to the cloud. Let me introduce you to Odoo. Odoo is a highly customizable cloud ERP system with everything your clients need, including dozens of built-in app modules and thousands of third-party apps. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. So enough about the CPA. I know we have some stuff on the big four, but let's jump over to app news and come back to the big four stuff. If we got time, otherwise we'll save it for next week. Perfect. What's the big news? We've got updates from QuickBooks Online. We've got updates from Wave, Check, that API payroll service. Where do you want to start? Uh, Visa bought a fintech firm. So remember how Visa went to acquire Plaid for whatever, $5.8 billion, and then it got blocked by the regulators? Mm -hmm. Yep. So now they're buying a similar company called Tink, T-I-N-K. Like Tinkerbell? (laughs) Yes. Um, and they, they're buying this company for $2 billion and they provide similar API type services. They connect to 3,400 banks and financial institutions in Europe. And it looks like it's getting clearance from the regulators and they're going to move forward on this. So how is this different than Plaid though? Is it just because they're not as big as Plaid? Probably, yes. That's probably why they allowed this, probably going to allow this to go through. Oh, and I think Plaid was building its own payment network, which would have competed with Visa. So that was also, I think, what the regulators didn't like is maybe Visa was buying Plaid just to shut that down. Yeah. And Visa had to buy somebody because MasterCard bought Facinity. So I think the regulars have – you can't just let your the biggest competitor buy a similar company. So they probably had to let them buy this. And, and it's probably actually in long run, it's probably way better for Plaid not to be purchased. But it's, it's pretty big. Um, Tink has 250 million customers in Europe that are connecting their bank accounts through Tink and through other apps. And they have about 400 employees. We've also got updates from QuickBooks Online. What is new in QuickBooks Online for June? So in June, we have a, you know, a lot of it's QuickBooks Online Advanced, but there's a custom report builder. <laughs> Seems like everything new is coming into QuickBooks Online Advanced, of course, so that, you know, you want to move people into that upper product tier so they spend more. And, and actually, this makes sense. A feature like a custom report builder should be in QuickBooks Online Advanced. Custom reports arguably should be an advanced feature, I would say. So I know that people have 
complained for a long time about the reporting capabilities of QuickBooks Online and Xero compared to desktop. So like, is this going to be game changing? Is it going to make people who are holding off move to online, do you think? I don't know, because I'm reading it, right? And apparently you can select certain fields, but it feels like it's, I don't know, I create, I was doing some reports in QuickBooks Online last night and I customized the report. I didn't feel like I was missing anything. But then even looking at this screenshot, it looks kind of similar, but apparently though you can do um, some calculations when you group together. Oh, so you can have calculations on your report. Okay. So so that would be kind of a good thing to have. Um, Syncing with the Etsy app. So just like every other app, when you sync, you eliminate data entry, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I thought was kind of cool that is not so much a feature of QuickBooks in a way, but what they've done is, so if you have 10 QuickBooks online subscriptions, Instead of you putting your credit card into all 10, they've moved your credit card information, your payment information up to your quick, your Intuit profile. Mm, yeah. So now you can, if you have to change your credit card, you can change it for all your subscriptions all at once in one spot instead of having to go to every instance of QBO. I just want to say that Xero has had this for a while. Very convenient feature. <laughs> Although Xero makes you have two different accounts, one for the account only subscriptions and then one for the direct subscriptions that are available to the direct customers. I don't know why. It's always, it, it, yes, that's how this stuff goes when you build software. You you solve one thing and you do something else. You, you pick and choose what you want to solve. <laughs> well, that's helpful. Um, auto payroll and um, QuickBooks, you can have certain eligible employees just enroll in auto payroll. So before they had the feature for auto payroll, but it had to be all the employees were getting auto paid or none of the employees were getting auto paid, it sounds like. Yeah, so this way maybe your salaried employees could just be on auto pay, but your hourly employees, you might still process that manually every week. Exactly. That's a great feature. Um, recurring tasks. So instead of just recurring transactions, you can do recurring tasks. And that's one that's also only available in online advance. QuickBooks Online Advanced, correct. Yep. All the good stuff going into QuickBooks Online Advanced. Well, I guess that makes it even better that Intuit made the free accountant copy that you get or the free accountant file advanced. So you get all these cool features. You get to see the features and touch them and start using them. And then if you like it, the feature a lot, you're probably going to tell your, you're probably going to make a decision. Okay. A client could use this feature. Yep. Uh, we have an update from wave wave was acquired by H and R block. Was it last year? Year before? I can't remember. It feels like almost 24 <laughs> months ago. now. In the before times wave was acquired by H and R block. And we hadn't heard a lot from them since then. Well, they just released a new feature accounts receivable in July as reported in Accounting Today, Wave plans to add new AR management features, including an activity tab that will supply a view of all the business's interactions with any customer. This feature helps Wave's customers understand where to direct their time and efforts and more effectively manage customer relationships. Other recently added AR features include an invoice list view for identifying customers with unpaid invoices. A new customer list view lets users see how much any customer owes without needing to sort through multiple invoices while customer profiles will give a single view of the information needed for managing customers. An invoices tab provides an in-depth information on customer billing and payment history. A customer contacts feature offers the ability to attach multiple contacts to one customer. So so Wave never had AR before? You couldn't create invoices? It was just cash sales only? I guess. Yeah. And I, wow. I think that, well, it was free, right? So <laughs> I don't think people expect Well, even more reason to... I mean, I, I don't know. I'm I'm really surprised that it has not done AR. It took this long to do invoicing. Well, maybe it did invoicing, but they didn't have these. Um, a report that shows the people that will pay you money. Yeah, you money. yeah how to actually <laughs> like, collect on it. 
<laughs> so we create invoices, but we didn't give you one report that shows unpaid invoices. It's, it's, I don't know. It's very shocking uh, that, it, that it's just now adding those features. Considering, I would argue, it's 15, 10 years old at least. It's, it's, I would argue it's in the it's mature phase of life to not have invoicing. is very shocking to me. So as you would expect, now they're part of H&R Block. In March, they announced a tax integration. So you can send your information seamlessly into H&R Block's tax products, similar to how you can do that with QuickBooks. You can take your QuickBooks self-employed information and push that into TurboTax. This is how H&R Block is working to compete against Intuit as they move from, well, we'll see if they can do it, but you know this on-prem, office-based type of franchise model to something a little more virtual that can survive remote work. And on top of that, I think the next phase in that, if you're running AR, is to have some sort of billing platform so you can collect payments and get a piece of that action. Like this is a business unit move, I guess. What else? We mentioned- Touch base on check. So last, remember last week we talked about, oh, expensivize adding payroll. Are they going to use and, check? And I, yeah, I was like, are they going to use check? And so check, for those of you that have not been following the podcast, check is essentially an API for payroll. So think about how Stripe, a developer could quickly take Stripe, put it in their app, and now they can accept credit cards. Well, Check is building the same thing for payroll. So in theory, Blake, we could create a payroll app, but we don't have to work on any of the taxes and all the calculations. We can just use their APIs and just integrate payroll into our existing app. So they finally had a blog post that's announced who their first customers are. So who's using it? So so their major one is Homebase. So Homebase is a timesheet app. That also has employee scheduling, very big in the restaurant industry. They they were they went very, very large on uh, QuickBooks Online because they were f- free. They were mm-hmm. one of the top apps to connect to QuickBooks Online. Um, they were in the free section of the app store. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really high managing, hiring, timesheets, scheduling for employees. The the other apps that uh, Service Titan, which is a huge um Oh ERP, yeah, they're enormous. Field service app. Yeah. They just took like a $500 million raise. And then some other uh, companies that I've never heard of, Care Switch, Table Needs, and Eddie. Now what's interesting, they already are servicing a million employees on this platform. Wow, that's a lot. And over 100,000 small businesses. Yeah. Um, the funny thing I found out about at home base is the way I met home base when they were first launching was through Zen Payroll. Somebody at Zen Payroll introduced me to home base, who was just a timesheet app at the time. And now full circle, you know, they're a payroll eight years, nine too. years later. They're just adding payroll. And this, again, goes to this. Everybody's adding everybody else's yeah. stuff. Well, I think all of the timesheet apps are going to become payroll apps. It makes total sense, right? Why wouldn't they want to own the whole cycle of tracking time and getting the people paid? So this is a threat. This is like an existential threat to the existing payroll providers because now they're going to have to add all these features that the time tracking apps have. They can't rely on the integrations. Or they're going to have to all buy time tracking apps the way Intuit did. Right. That's what. So all the T-sheets... Copycats are going to get bought up. <laughs> actually, it's, yeah, that's actually probably true. There's probably a lot of, of consolidation you're going to see on that front. I've and got and was good. I've got a bit of news from my former employer, Flowcast, which is closed management software for corporate controllers. They have released a new feature called Remind Flowcast Remind with the F and the Q capitalized and the R and the M capitalized. This is a feature that allows users using Flowcast to request uh, documents. So you need to get documents to do the close every month. Let's say you need a bank statement, or let's say you need a report from some department head and you need 
you know, I don't know, somebody to tell you, like, did we make any purchases that haven't yet gone through our approval process and we need to accrue these or whatever? Uh, you can automatically do that with um, Flowcast Remind. So, so this is for like your, so you're trying to close the books and you need, because really clo- uh, Flowcast is for slightly bigger businesses that are trying to close the books. You have a complex organization, different yeah. departments. You got a team so of this accountants is basically, working together. We'll just harass your employees or your coworkers <laughs> to give you whatever, whatever they need to do for you to get your part of the close done. With Remind, requests can be automated, customized, and scheduled, and hopefully not annoy your coworkers. But, uh, and do these come through an app? Do they come through Slack? Do they come through emails? I'm going to guess emails, but um, there was they also built a Slack integration. So All right. Both yeah. things will be ignored. We'll see how this works out for that. <laughs> we'll see how this works out. <laughs> and that's all the app news I've got this week. How about you? I got uh, just one more thing about Venmo. So Venmo announced some price increases. So actually, David, I found out about that story, not through the blogs, not through Feedly. My wife forwarded me an email from Venmo and was like, this is a big deal, isn't it? Oh, that's true. She She's... You've, you've, you're training her bell. She's recognizing stories for the show. She occasionally listens, I think, before going to bed. Like, it puts her to sleep. She uses Venmo to pay both our housekeeper and our um, landscaper. Got it. So so basically, starting August 2nd, so it's very very soon. That's a month and, month and a couple of days away, right? Um, Venmo's instant transfer free, instead of it being 1%, will now be a 15, I'm sorry, 1.5%. With a maximum of fifteen dollars. What was it? Do we know what it was before? Was it free? It's a one percent with a maximum oh. of ten dollars. So this is the the instant transfer. Okay. So so, so if you want it like in your bank account the next day through ACH, then there's a fee for that. They're increasing um, can the we fee. Pa- can we pause for one quick second though? Have you ever tried the direct deposit to a debit card before with Venmo? Yes. No. Or PayPal or anybody? No. So I did it. I, I did it because I wanted to see what it was like. By the time, so I connected my debit card in Venmo and by the time, and then I chose to do the instant deposit to my debit card. By the time on my phone, I switched to my credit union's website, the money was already there in my bank account. Really? Wow. That's it's, it, the, the direct to debit just bypasses the ACH system entirely and is like instantaneous. It's pretty amazing. Oh, because it's using it's credit amazing. card rails basically instead of uh, or yeah. debit rails. Or the debit card yeah. network. Which exactly. is the, similar yeah. to the credit card network, right? It's yes, like, yeah. Exactly. Um, and then the, the, the reason I brought this to the show, it's not so much about the personal side of this and the personal fees, but on July 20th, they're going to um, start trying hard. They're identifying users that are being paid with good for or that are pay, paying others for goods and services. And they're going to charge seller transactions fees of 1.9% plus 10 cents for the transaction. Yeah. So I want to know how they're doing this because PayPal has been doing this for a long time. PayPal, which owns Venmo will, when you send money, ask you, what is this payment for? And you could say friends and family, or you could say something like goods and services. And if you select the goods and services, it then charges the fee to the recipient, and and so you, and you would always just say like friends and family, and you just not actually do it if you know what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then so, but remember how Venmo you kind of have a feed, and so people say like, oh, uh, I'm paying Blake because I bought him beers, yeah. or Blake walked my dog, Blake gave me a haircut. They're going to detect when that's a professional service, and then they are going to somehow Charge implement a crackdown to charge the fee. Now, uh, the thing is, the really smart people will be like, say, I bought you a beer. And like, regardless of the service, like, hey, Blake, you walked my dog. You're my dog walker. Right. But I'm going to say uh, split lunch. Just send a memo like that. And then the AI will never detect it. 
But most people are probably not going to know that's happening. The AI will detect them and start charging the fee. And then they'll have to decide, do I keep using this payment service, which I use for all my clients, or do I switch to something else? And most of them will probably just stick with it, even though there's a fee now. I mean, it's just too much friction to change how you get paid. Yeah. And they do have business profiles. They will convert. I mean, and they're trying hard to push people to convert to a business account. Uh, But again, it doesn't sync with your accounting software and everything else. So again, I think PayPal, PayPal and Venmo are kind of in that area where every, most accountants and bookkeepers have clients that are on them because their customers want to pay with them. Right. And so it's this dilemma because it's convenient for your customers to pay you that way. But then once you get it, it's a total nightmare from an accounting standpoint, right? Yeah, but you know what? Most of those people aren't doing any accounting. (laughs) They're just taking their bank statements to their tax guy at the end of the year. And, you know, he's just writing it up or or they're probably just not even like doing taxes. Who knows, right? It's just massive, (laughs) massive tax uh, gap. It's got to be some of those people got to be in it. And now they're uh, having some privacy functionalities and it's just an additional note because remember how people were able to discover Joe Biden's Venmo account. So now Yeah, well, because by, pub- by default, it's public. By default, it's public. People don't turn it off. So everyone in the world can see what you're paying people for. It's absurd. Well, actually, this will tie this right back to your wife and then we'll close up because your wife's a monster bachelorette, bachelor fan or whatever. She loves the bachelor, bachelorette, bachelor okay. in paradise. It's like her thing. And if... I have to make time. I put it, we put it on the calendar because I need to like know that she's going to be watching this. So you don't disrupt her. Yeah. So you can go back to her and be like, hey, we spoke about your Venmo article. And did you know that Venmo, because of its public stuff, actually had caused some broken hearts on the Bachelor show? What? How? Yeah. I don't know the details on this, but we'll, we'll, all right, now you're going to make me click through and read this. <laughs> I got to know. I have to know. So was it, you know, bachelor contestants paying each other on Venmo and then other people finding out about it? And oh, apparently people figured out the winner of the bachelor from Venmo because they were seeing the public feed of something. Oh, maybe. Uh... Do you think that it was actually the bachelor that got Venmo to fix its privacy <laughs> problems? <laughs> it wasn't the president. Yeah, it was the bachelor, which, you know, I mean, that affects way more people than who is president of the United States, apparently. Now, because of this, apparently the ABC producers, when people come on the show, they make them put all their Venmos to private. That's the connection between pop culture and the Cloud Accounting Podcast right there, folks. And David, I think we're out of time. I've got so much more I could talk about. We didn't get to the big four story. I could summarize it for you in like one sentence. And I'll do one sentence for mine. Go ahead. Okay. PwC has announced that it is restructuring its audit arm to package tax prep and audit services together under a single umbrella. And they are claiming that this is going to draw a clearer line between its businesses and ensure that audit is free of potential conflicts of interest that might arise if an auditor were also providing a client with advice on how to run its business. And that just seems completely absurd because packaging up audit with other stuff would create more of a conflict of interest. So this is a totally dystopian. How do you even describe that? When somebody is saying the opposite of what's really happening, it's just, it's it's Kafka-esque. Just living in denial. It's just so bold, bald-faced. Is that the word? Kafka-esque. Uh, uh, don't quote me on this stuff. All right. What do you got? So, so my thing is really quickly, uh, Deloitte in the UK said they're going to let all 20,000 employees work from home. They're not forcing them to come in, which is kind of different from what, Different from what KPG and PwC said uh, 
couple of weeks back where they're going to let the only make them work in the office two days a week. But this could all be lip service. So the the CEO, just a quote here, because this if you read between the lines, right, it is also shown that we can trust our people to make the right choice when, how, and where they work. So even though publicly this is the thing, I wonder if there's that, uh, it's um, a few good men, right? There was the rule and then there was the rule, right? In that movie, it's kind of that same thing. Yes, the rule is you can, anybody can work from home anytime they want, but you better be making the right choice on where and when and how you work. Yeah, and here's the two things that mean this is not going to be better for their staff. Uh, One is, they wouldn't be doing it if they think they're actually going to reduce their billings and their staff are going to work less. Everything that we have learned in the pandemic is that people work more when they don't have to commute. And if you are a big four staffer and your partner that you work for is going into the office and says you need to be there, damn right, you're going to be there. <laughs> and if you work in audit, you're not at the office 90% of the time anyway. You're out at the client site working. So like remote, which means you don't have choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're already remote, you know? So it's just all, it's, it's all a game to be the best big four firm and attract the top talent. Exactly. It's theater. It's work at home theater. Everyone knows, or they should know by now that if you go work for the big four, they're going to use and abuse you and you either have to learn to love it or you got to get out of there. Maybe that's the episode title. The big four will use and abuse you. Maybe. We'll have to discuss that, David. Um, Let's wrap this up. So if people want to get a hold of you, what should they do? I think they should call our voicemail number, 202-695-1040. Leave us a message. You get a couple minutes to go straight to voicemail. Tell us what you think about these stories or anything you like. And you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. How about you, David? You get a hold of me very easily on all the socials. I'm at David Leary. And if you send me a message on LinkedIn, just say you're not a bot. Until next week, David, stay safe, stay sane. I'm really glad that your home edition is almost complete. The nightmare is almost over. I think the audio quality next week will be even better. Get some, great. Get some sound, stuff. soundproofing in that room. It'll be awesome. Amazing. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm without having to work a million hours a week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. The Future Firm Accelerate program is designed around Ryan's experience of taking his own cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm, coaching when you need help with implementation, and you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking accounting firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is futurefirmaccelerate.com. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Roger Rui calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar 
and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast, co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.